Hari Kirtan ki jai Sri Sri Gorada Madhava ki jai Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai Isi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Purati jai Dilakshakshita Deva Swami Maharaj ki jai Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Sosajita Purpada ki jai Bhakti Vinod Paribar ki jai Kod Premanande So good evening Continuing our discussion of the seventh chapter of the Aridlila of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's meeting in Banaras with the sannyasis of a Mayavadin persuasion is the central topic of the chapter, the topic that uh, Chapter leads up to having segued away from, as it as the chapter does, the explanation of the Mangala charm. The last verse of which was the, the uh, consisted of a glorification of the Panchatattva. So we heard about that, and um, tonight we're at the point in the uh, narrative where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has has spoken to Prakashananda Saraswati and the other Vedantins. And um, he spoke at some length about the efficacy of Namsan Kirtan, which is his main method. And he supported this. Also, he did it in a very nice way as Dulal Chandra was uh, admiring uh, at the end of our previous discussion, the way in which Mahabhu opened the discussion in order to um, make ingress into their minds and hearts with his ideas was not confrontational, hmm? um, but in a way that uh, um, was very humble. I mean, he he cited, I don't know anything, but these are the words of my guru, which is a very powerful statement in itself. His guru nishta, his adherence to the, his guru, his guru's order, and so forth. Um, of course, everything is said to flow from that, spiritually speaking. And um, so... It's reminiscent of the way Prabhupada would speak. I take no credit, I'm only simply following the order of my Guru Maharaj. Hmm? So he presented uh, his uh, explanation of his his activities, which were brought into question. His activities of singing and dancing and with musical accompaniment, with what appears to be religious uh, fanatics, uh, which may be all right for some people, but for a sannyasi whose who's dharma, Prakashananda said, was to study the Vedanta, be sober, and so forth. It seems very much out of character. And so, again, Mahamudra answered by way of saying, well, I don't know much, and my guru told me that, for that matter. In fact, he told me that the study of Vedanta was not within my adhikar. I didn't have eligibility for that. Instead, he told me to chant the Krishna. Krishna Mantra. <clears throat> and and as I say, in the course of humbly making his presentation, he he shows that he's he's not unaware of the scriptural conclusions which the study of Vedanta one would think that by by which one one should arrive at those spiritual conclusions. He's bringing out points that to us of course seem very obvious obvious, emphasized as they are by the Goswamis, but uh, that's the why we have the Goswamis. Uh, we sometimes describe their literary contributions as the Bhakti Shastras. Hmm? Um, Srinivas described them, Nana Shastra Vicharanaikadipano Saddharma Samstapako Lokanam Hitakarano Tribune Manyosharanyakaro. So out of, out of compassion for the people of the world they took from all the revealed scriptures and presented 
really the central theme of bhakti. Hmm. As we've been discussing over, over the weekend, the power of bhakti, the power of love. I mean, in love you have knowledge and ignorance, both have their place. Um, it's not one side of the pendulum or the other. It's really the middle path, to use a Buddhist term. Um, the path of love harmonizes. Uh, again, there's ignorance in, in love, hmm? and there's, there's, there's knowledge in love at the same time. Hmm? There's, for example, there's ignorance in Krishna praying, but Krishna is, is God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's certainly a kind of knowing there, obviously, as their whole lives are centered on the perfect object of love. So, um, they did, the Goswamis, very much, uh, I like to think of it, uh, what Vyas was in. Uh, instructed by Narada to do in the form of Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? And they took it to another another level, emphasizing bhakti in no uncertain terms, in such a way, with such an emphasis, that it's almost as if the paths of jnana, karma, and yoga are deprecated. And carefully look, they're not, and we're warned not to deprecate them. They have their place. We deprecate them only in terms of their being seen as efficacious unto themselves or when they are presented in such a way as to be um, dismissive of bhakti. They get their, they are like the renunciation, knowledge, even material acquisition in one sense. These are sometimes thought of as bridemaids to the queen of bhakti. So, again, this is, we, we hear from the Bhagavad itself that this is what, how Nard advised Vyas after he compiled all the sacred texts. This was his attempt in the Bhagavatam. And we find the Goswamis coming and making the Bhagavatam their central text from which all of their books um, are drawn in one sense. Although they draw from, from, from everywhere, they're drawing out, in the context of doing that, what the Bhagavatam is saying and underscoring it uh, more so than than Vyas was able to do. The Bhagavatam lends itself maybe to some slightly different interpretations, um, not very well to a an Advaitin uh, interpretation, but um, um, but their commentaries on the Bhagavatam. Uh, Make that clear, and then again, they're drawing from everywhere. Uh, uh, their knowledge of the sacred text was was uh, astounding, hmm? comprehensive, and um, and in one sense, the essence of that the, is is being presented by Mahaprabhu with his um, emphasis on his guru's orders to him to chant the holy name, and this was the way, and. Um, for Kali Yuga, and so it's apparent that he knows something about Vedanta. He knows that Krishna Nam mantra, Krishna mantra is the essence of all Vedic mantras, and so on, as he said. And um, and so he's presented the uh, the uh, uh, overt glorification of the very method that they uh, thought was questionable hmm? in and that in a humble and indirect way by saying, I'm just doing what my guru ordered and by following it, this is what happened to me. Hmm? And as they examine him closely, they understand that what happened to him is quite extraordinary. They're moved by him in the first place to entertain um, his uh, explanation um, and um, as we'll see as we go on furthermore he's he's been very successful in 
not only creating a teachable moment, but really in converting them by his charm, by his beauty, his personal beauty, by his um, tejas, prabha, his, 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 his sense of being, his, his effulgence, uh, and by the charming and humble way in which he makes his presentation, as if to say, one who really knows Vedanta knows that he doesn't know very much. Hmm. Uh, in other words, they who say they know Brahman don't know Brahman. Those who say they don't know Brahman, they know Brahman. Something like this. Um, kind of a uh, uncertain, certain, uncertainty within certainty, which I also often say love is like that. An uncertainty, a healthy uncertainty within the certainty. What's next? What will... <laughs> How will it play out? Vaishnavism, uh, um, uh, as I said before, it's, as we understand, it's being and becoming. It's not like some people think, forget the becoming, you have to just be. So stop trying to become, in the words, what you are, you are, be what you are. But for us, it's we stop that kind of becoming, trying to be this, that, or the other thing, but we don't just be what we are. There's another transcendental becoming in relation to bhakti, and it has no end. So love has some excitement to it. It's dynamic rather than static. It's static, but there's a dynamism within it. So um, static in relation to the movements of this world. So uh, it's apparent, the point is, uh, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu does know something about Vedanta and he's derived it from following his guru, from chanting the uh, holy name and uh, as we'll see, he, he actually knows quite a bit more. Uh, so devotees aren't foolish uh, sentimentalists as Prakashananda Saraswati thought at first. Um, so from, from uh, emphasizing his, explaining his method, which he was asked about, hmm, now he'll be asked something about Vedanta, even though he said, I'm not qualified to understand. They can see he knows. So now he'll give us an explanation of Vedanta. It gets a little more um, dry. It's been fairly juicy thus far, the interaction between Sanatana and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Tapanmijra and Chandrasekhar, his devotees and so forth and even between Prakashananda and himself to some extent, but now we have to go into the what's wrong with Mayavad. And Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami is not a fan of uh, Shankar's Advaita Vedanta. Hmm. Not, at, not at all. And as I said before, one of the reasons this section is here is because, as, as an afterthought to the previous six-plus chapters of Gaudiya theology and philosophy, he wants to, to before entering into the narrative, say something about, having said what it is, have to say, say something about what it's not. Hmm? What, what, and what was, has had prominence at his time and has prominence at this time also. A rather... Um, um, I want to say it's rather simplistic, but a little complicated theologically. Uh, philosophically. Um, it's kind of a swinging from one end of the pendulum to the other. The world is a problem. There is no world, for example. We will go into it as we as we go 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 forward with the narrative. Um, but. Uh, it's uh, Krishna Das kind of railing against Mahavad and uh, and uh, some you know, obviously important distinctions um, for a better, the better part now of the uh, this discussion. So, what? Prabhuvur Mishtabakya Shuni Sanyasi Ragan. So the, the Sanyasi Ragan, the group of Sanyasis, they heard Prabhu's uh, uh, Mishtavakya, 
means the sweet words. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu heard the sweet words. Hmm. Again, as Dulal had mentioned that point, and it's, it's true, it's obviously very, spoken in a very sweet and, and charming way, and not in commanding or in a very um, dictatorial, you know, very humble and charming. So having heard his charming words, Chittapidigela, their consciousness was moved, their minds were moved. They were moved by his presence, and now they've heard words from his lotus mouth, and, and they're, they're moved by that, they're humbled by that. Certain things, I just follow my guru. Is there something wrong with that? Something like that. And this is what happened to me. And, and they're seeing, well, a little more close up now, that they, this chanting and dancing that they saw at a distance, um, they're seeing it close up. They're seeing he's, 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 he's an, not an ascetic, but an ecstatic. Uh, he is very much what, he is the bliss that they're very much after, in a sense. So, Kohima Durbachan. So, they then sweetly replied, and, Ye kichuk kahile to me, subsatehoi, Krishna prem sepai, jar bagyodai. So, they say, you, Ye kichuk kahile to me, all that you spoke, Sabsatahoy. It's all we that's all true. Hmm? What did he say? I should if I follow my guru, that's very good. I I I take Krishna Nam, Krishna Mantra. We don't have to object to that. That's fine. Um uh, I fell in, in love with Krishna. Hmm? Um I'm a I became a devotee of Krishna. Hmm? They don't have any objections. All of you said we, we don't disagree with that. that that's good. Krishna Prem Sepoy, Jar Bhagyadoy. One who is, indeed, one who is, one who is Bhagyadoy. One who is, who, who receives, the, the, is lucky, who's lucky, um, Bhagya, he develops love for Krishna. Hmm? One who develops love for Krishna, um, that person is, uh, uh, his bhagya udoy, his fortune, his luck is his luck is awakened. It's like he won the lottery or something like that. <laughs> the, 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 to have love of Krishna, hmm? so it's a nice uh, word here, bhagya. It's a word that's used in, later on when Mahaprabhu was speaking, perhaps to Sanatan, when he says, "Brahmanda Brahmite kon bhagyavanji Guru Krishna Prasade Bhai Bhakti Lata the jiva becomes bhagya, lucky. Hmm? Um, sometimes the word yadrichaya is used in the Bhagavatam, similar idea, good fortune, luck. Uh, so he's saying more than he realizes it perhaps, perhaps here. As I say, there's the two forces in the world. There's the force of karma driving the world, and then there's the force of bhakti also in the world. That's the force. I never saw that movie, but I heard about the force, the good force um, in the world. It can change the course of our of our of our life. Mahatmas to Mahatmasrita. The Mahatmas, who in the ninth chapter of the Gita are mentioned, it's a description if we study the chapter carefully, of devotees. Because he says there are others, they do this and that. Mahatmas to Mamparta Daivim Prakritamashita and Madchita Madkita Aprana Bodhanta. We know what it is Katayam Tashama. Katayam yeah, Katayam Tashama Nityam. Uh, that's actually uh, that's the verse because they're always chanting about me so Mahatmas are devotees is the point Krishna uses the word in the Gita and they're working under a different influence daivim prakritim so they're not working under the material nature, prakriti, but the divine prakriti, a divine maya. Hmm? Not a maha maya, but a yoga maya. Hmm? 
and th- and as a result, th- their movement is not under the influence of karma's cause and effect. You do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. It's very like a machine, so to speak. Um, God removes Himself from that. That's the working material nature. You play with it, you get burnt. You know, you, uh, that's how it works, and I honor it. Um, I don't interfere with that, but my devotees do. <laughs> that, that's their nature. They love me, so they move in the world and, and they intervene on karma's influence and bring the, the influence of bhakti into the devotee's life. And that is called the luck of the jiva, the good fortune of the jiva. Hmm? It's bhagya, if we say luck, it means there's no, when we say it's lucky, there's no cause. I just got lucky. I guess it's luck. What does luck mean in English? Was there's no reason for it, right? Just luck. In a more theistic context, you might just the grace of God. I won the lottery or whatever it is. Just got lucky, I guess. I got a blessing. So it's it's a, it's a nice a nice word. Causeless. Sometimes it's I mean it's not caused as the other results in this world are being reactions to something that we've done. We've, we've sown, and so, we, as the Bible says, we reap accordingly. So that luck is then also, again, the movement of the devotees in the world, who are not moving under cause and effect. They're not karma-driven, but they're bhakti-driven. And so, and this, of course, Sadhu Sangha, which is then the Janma hmm, uh, of, uh, of Bhakti, Mul hmm, Janma of, of Bhakti, the root, the birth of Bhakti, is itself Bhakti, Sadhu Sangha. So, Vishvanachakritakras, you know, reasons that, well, Bhakti is independent, so bhakti causes bhakti. Nothing else causes bhakti. Only bhakti causes bhakti. And while well, we can trace it out and say that bhakti comes from sadhu-sangha, then sadhu-sangha is part of bhakti. Hmm. So sadhu-sangha is the, is the root uh, from which bhakti takes birth. And as Chaitanya Charitamrita teaches, in the form of sadhana, obviously. Hmm. And when... By that sadhana, one attains bhava and prem. Sadhusanga is also essential. It remains a mukya anga. It means the principal thing to do in prem. It's 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 a simple point, but it's it seems to be missed by many who think they don't need association. They've had association. It's done. Uh, Bhakti, I don't know, it's not, it means that kind of association, that type of interaction with advanced devotees. And we find many advanced devotees, like Narutam crying, we sing his song, are the days of, we, the, we commemorate the departure of great devotees. And he's weeping, weeping, where has Sanatam gone, Krishna, Skaviraj, Rup, Raghunath, how will I go on? Swarupa's left. And he's a Prem Bhakta. Hmm. So it's his, his song is a nice example of the point of Chaitanya Charitamrita, which in the verse that I'm citing, we were discussing some of us earlier today, that, uh, that, that, that Bhakti is born from Sadhu Sangha. So it's, it's not inherent. And when you, from it, Prem, or from its culture, it matures, that same <clears throat> sadhana bhakti matures into prema bhakti. It's not that sadhana sangha is no longer necessary. I mean, the whole of the Golokas sadhana sangha, it's a societal uh, affair, hmm. very social in, its, in that sense, in its nature. So, do they, so Prabhupada says something here. He says, one who's very lucky, he, he gets uh, Krishna Prem, and he's right. 
and he's become lucky <laughs> today. He's become lucky because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is there, Krishna there in the form of sadhu. Hmm? But there's no other way. Hmm? And this is very foreign to the way. It's a good introduction because it's very foreign. The way in which you attain Prema Bhakti, which he's, he's said here without the implication, without realizing the fullness of what, he, what he's saying, is very different from the way in which the Mayavadans, Advaitins, think that they will advance in spiritual life. It's a very, both in, in Gyan Marg, uh, and particularly of the Advaitins and in the Yoga Marg also, um, it, these are both very effort-driven practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not that bhakti is without effort, but as I often say, it's effort. It's an effort really to get grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when you compare lucky to effort, mm-hmm. that's a good way to make the, the contrast. Mm-hmm. He goes on, he says what... Um, Krishna Bhakti Kar Ihai Sabsantosh. So, so uh, to to do Krishna Bhakti, uh, that's uh, no problem. That's uh, Sabsantosh. Everyone's satisfied with that idea. You know, you want to do Krishna Bhakti, nobody has a takes objection to that. Of course. People said that about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in other ways, but, but why he has to stay up all night chanting like this? Yeah. So he's kind of, you know, he's kind of saying, there's nothing wrong with Krishna Bhakti, but I was just complaining about the way you were going about it. Now you've explained yourself, but it's new to us. Hmm? It's new. It was really bringing home, as I said, the point. Sanams and Kirtan is bringing it home. Like, you couldn't do more if this is the Guru Parampara that you follow the Guru, we're following Vyas, who told, we're following Narada, who told Vyas to emphasize bhakti in no uncertain terms, and you come to Chaitanya Sampradaya, this Namsan Kirtanas is really emphasizing the point hmm? with banners and horns and drums and so forth. Take to the streets and herald the name of, name of Krishna. Hmm? Very visible and, uh, very bold, emboldened by the order of, of Vyas, or, or Narada, I should say. So so anyway, nobody takes objection to uh, Krishna Nam, but Vedanta Shunakini, Taraki Badosh, what's the fault in, you know, in studying the Vedanta? Hmm? Um, which is, okay, he's kind of going halfway here. Okay, Krishna Bhakti, that makes, that's good and all, but what's the fault with uh, the study of Vedanta? And of course, the fault is their way. Hmm? That, as if studying the Vedanta as a path, or do or do Krishna Bhakti, hmm? or in the context of studying Vedanta, some people do Bhakti also. No problem. Hmm? This is the Mayavad position, right? We have no way. We're open to every everyone. <laughs> Everything, you know. Sure, Krishna Bhakti is good. Hmm? There was uh, one, um, I think it was during some period at the Krishna Balaram temple where there was a fe- festivities, maybe a commemoration of its opening or something. Um, I wasn't there, but I heard about it. And one uh, scholar, Advaitin, was in town and invited to speak on, you know, Chaitanya Bhakti, and he gave a lecture, and devotees were raving about the lecture, you know, on Krishna Bhakti. And Pramod Puri Goswami Marsh heard about how I heard about it. From him, he said, "Yes," and he, he knew this scholar, and he said, "They know the philosophy better than we do." Mm-hmm. Huh? Of course, they're not. They don't. They don't accept it the way that we do. They know what we say, what we teach. That's their penchant for learning, for studying, and so forth. And so, you know, they can, oh, 
speak that way. But their idea is, of course, very different from ours. Their idea is that you do Krishna Bhakti, that's good. Um, even up to the point of being a being a, a um, Jivan Mukta, in which some Jivan Muktas in Advaita um, Marg, who uh, have in, employed bhakti, they take a relish of the leela, they come to relish the leelas, in the, st- in, in the stage of uh, Jivan Mukta, the penultimate state, just to the last state before ultimate mukti. Hmm? Well, in this body, they like the pastimes, they meditate on them, and of course, then they go to the ultimate state, and then it all vanishes. Krishna Lila disappears, the form of Krishna disappears, any difference disappears. My God, what a, you know, what a, you've gone from material life to relishing Krishna Lila, and you're going to enter into, you know, eternal quietude. Hmm? Um, it's very hard for us to relate. <laughs> Uh, to that. Uh, there are other problems with the philosophy, but uh, um, but uh, anyway, this is kind of a typical Mayavadan response. If a devotee is criticizing Dvaita Vedanta, so, you know, we have no criticism of bhakti, and uh, we're Vedantins, you can do bhakti. But again, if they deny your right, if, if it all, in their estimation, merges in Brahman, Ram Bhakti, Krishna Bhakti, this, that, the other thing, and become perfect as a Christian or whatever, you enter into Brahman. Hmm? So there are many paths, and these are all for different psychologies and cultures, and so it all ends up in, in Nirvasesha. Uh, it, it insidiously denies the stated goal of all the paths hmm? that differ from the ideal of Advaita Vedanta. So it's a it's a very uh, it's like I say it's insidious. It's we accept you all, and there's this appearance of acceptance, and they they seem to feel like that also. But they don't. Do you realize what you're saying? <laughs> you're denying in the name of accepting. Yes, it's good to be Krishna Bhakti as long as you know you give it up at some point. Hmm? Hmm? What have you understood about about Krishna Bhakti? This is some kind of shadow only of, of Krishna Bhakti hmm? at best. Hmm. So Mahaprabhu replies, so, and he splashed with a smile, hmm? he says, smiling, I could say a little something about Vedanta, if you like, but don't, don't be upset. Hmm? If I say something that you know is a little different from the way you're thinking about it, hmm? Hmm? so if, if you don't mind, all right, I can say something about it. I mean, I'm not a big scholar like you, but I could say something about Vedanta. Hmm? And he's he's smiling. <laughs> and what does the Gita say? Hmm? What does Krishna say in the Gita? Vedanta krit veda vedeta chaiva cha. Hmm. I am the compiler of the Vedanta. I am the knower of Vedanta. Hmm. What he will, what he will say? Iha shuni bole sarva sanyasirogan tumaki diki yoichi sakshat narayan. So they're they're charmed by him. Hmm? Uh, hearing him say this, then. Um, They were inspired because they, they saw him uh, just like Narayan. Hmm? They saw him as to be God. Tumar vachan shuni judai shravan, tumar maduri deki judai nayana. They said, to tell the truth, we are greatly pleased to hear your words, and furthermore, your tumor maduri deki judai nayana. Your your bodily features are very pleasing. We 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 feel ecstatic uh, looking at you, seeing your 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 your, your person, the, uh, your form. So they're like <laughs> under his his spell. Tumar prabhave sabar. Anunditaman, 
your your prabhav, your power, your your influence hmm, is making our minds full of ananda. Hmm. So they're like <laughs> they're, yeah, his person. He has personal power behind what he's going to say, hmm. and on the basis of his personal power, he's he's really got them. You know, they're they're converted at this point. They're they're ready to listen to whatever he says because they're getting more ananda from seeing him and hearing him, and it's not even he has a he like he says he had a begin begin in the beginning he had some slight well Krishna Bhakti's fine but what's wrong with Vedanta, um, um, but at the same time it's not there's a slight question but I'm really. The way you speak is just really charming. That's the main. The way you know whatever you would have said, it's almost like <laughs> we're like overwhelmed by that. The power of that is making our minds so blissful, uh, and all. There's a slight question, but anyway, whatever. Uh, um, what are who you're? You must be Narayan. I mean, we were getting, as I say, more bliss from just hearing the sound of your voice without even considering the meaning of it. What are you, the words that you're saying? And your personal bodily features, <laughs> then we then we we we've gotten from our study of Vedanta for for a long time. Now it's pretty dry comparatively. Kabu asangata nahi tomar bhachan. We believe, influenced as we are by your presence, our minds are full of bliss, and we believe that your words will never be unreasonable. If we're you can speak on Vedanta Sutra. We're ready to listen. Hmm. Whatever you say, we're, we're, we're ready for that. Prabhu Kahi, Vedanta Sutra, Ishpar Vachan, Vyas Rupe Koila, Jahasi Narayan. So Mahaprabhu said, Vedanta philosophy consists of the words spoken by God in the form of Vyas. Hmm. So he's identifying. Krishna Dvaipayana Vyasadeva as the Shaktivesh avatar of, of Narayan for, for, for giving the sacred text. And that includes, of course, the sutras, which are um, his attempt to show what the Upanishads and so forth are, are saying in, in, all in one text. So, Brahma Pramad Vipralipsha Karnapatava. So there can't be any faults in the words of God. It's basically saying, so there can't be any fault, there can't be any Brahma, Pramada, Vipralipsa, Karnapatava. There can't be mistakes, illusions, cheating, or um, problems as a result of um, sensory insufficiency. This does not exist in the words of God. Hmm? Now this is an interesting point. Mm. Prabhupada called these. What did he call them? The four defects, or something like that. Mm. Illusion, um, making mistakes, sense imperfect senses, and cheating propensity. Um, Krishna's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was saying this does not exist in the words of God. So when we say that the sadhus, the guru, is free from these defects, then someone may ask, well, why is he wearing glasses? He obviously does not have 20-20 vision, and the eyes are senses, therefore his senses are imperfect. Hmm. He must not be a guru. Gurus don't wear glasses. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> this is the implication, <laughs> the commentary. No, so, <laughs> so what's being said here is is instruct, in, in, instructive because he's saying, in the words of the of of of, of Narayan, hmm, as much as I, he's identifying Vyas with Narayan, there's there's no imperfection. So it, it means like this that because the guru. Hmm, as if we consider, as I said the other day, um, as it's sometimes said, Veda Mata, Guru is the, the Shastra, Veda is the mother, 
and the Guru is the father. These two don't disagree. Hmm. So they're on. They, they, so what the Guru says is supported by Shastra. So Guru does not arrive at his or her knowing hmm, by imperfect means. His or her knowing is not subject to these imperfections because he or she draws from the Shastra and faithfully repeats that and, of course, approaches the Shastra properly um, to, to get realization hmm, and then speak about it, of course, in, a, in an insightful way as well. So it's not just a repetition of what's there. You can't just memorize the book and repeat it, and that's what it constitutes to be uh, a guru, of course. Um, but, but that he doesn't, she doesn't make it up as they go along. And Prabhupada was very um, strong on this point. It's a really, really good point because many people are making it up as they go along, and you have to ask them, "Can you write a book about that?" And we can just like see it on paper and show, or you know, you contradict yourself and underline it. I remember when I was younger and I used to distribute Prabhupada's books and we would talk to people and, and, and you know, you'd get in, I like to get in discussions with them, you know, of, of philosophy and, and as, as much as the time allowed and you found that kind of a person. And, um, and then so many times I'd be discussing and people would contradict themselves. They'd say, it's a, or you'd defeat them on a point and then they'd ignore the fact that you'd defeat them and they'd just go on and on and on and then then sometimes they come back to the same point that you already like defeated them on. You know, it's like very, very frustrating. Um, and then they don't, you know, want to acknowledge it in the discussion and so forth. Their memory is, you know, conveniently, you know, didn't remember that they already said that and that was already defeated or they didn't accept it or whatever. So anyway, the point is, if you wrote it down, then you, you know, you have them. That's what you corner. So I really appreciate the fact that fact that Prophet wrote it down. Hmm. And he also basically, in, in telling us that, he said, it, so if there's a contradiction, you can see it. So sometimes you might find a contradiction in Prabhupada's book. It's rare, but you can find some. Then you have to resolve them. This is what he taught us. Hmm? Yeah. Um, an example that comes up with what we're talking about, I suppose, is we see what's the purpose of, of, of Dvaita Vedanta, given by Shankar. What's the purpose of that? We'll get to that. Um, um, but anyway, the overall point is it's an important one hmm? that the guru is perfect in this regard because he doesn't rely on imperfect means of knowing. Hmm? He relies on the shrotapanta, hmm? the descending path of knowledge. Faithfully represents it to be credible, as Prabhupada used to te- t- used to teach us. In spiritual circles, one has to be able to cite. The, the, the sacred text, or what was at the time the standard of knowledge, and within our own circles, with regard to the kind of knowledge that we're interested in, extraordinary knowledge, spiritual knowledge, it remains so. Hmm? The prophet said, "My books will be the law books for the ten thousand years." What, what does it mean? We're going to decide whether, whether you know, stoplights should be red to green or yellow, or you know, I mean, <laughs> there's laws like that, right? <laughs> so. Or, what laws are they going to cover? You know, obviously they they deal with a certain type of knowledge that is not um, dealt with elsewhere or attempts to deal with it elsewhere. Um, that means knowledge of, say, the nature of consciousness and so forth. Our faith is that that requires. Um, Knowledge from coming from up to down, that 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 that, that revelation, that uh, um, um, so it's it's a special knowledge about God. It's a special kind of kind of knowledge, uh, and other traditions would they have their sacred texts? They they more or less agree. I would, I would say the Bible, for example, the Quran, it's, uh, it's descending. Hmm? There are things that, that are beyond the ken of the human, you know, biological, psychological species. Hmm? That's uh, a reasonable, very, very reasonable argument. I mean, we know that to be true. 
about, I mean, we know that to be true. We know that we can't hear certain sounds. Of course, we know that we can't, so we, we found that out. It makes us think we can know quite a bit. We can know everything, perhaps, just by the exercise of our brains. But um, the position here is that that's not the case. And that's a reasonable position to take. So it's a special kind of knowledge. So these, these kind of books, these spiritual books, they remain pertinent, valuable, useful, meaningful for why 10,000? 10,001, 2, you know, and more forever. It's just hyperbole. It's a way of saying these books, this will always be a standard of knowledge about the subjects that they deal with. And as I said before, also, I don't think there's anywhere, I'm sure, but there's nowhere outside of its own discipline that modern science has turned over the decades, recent decades, where consciousness has been entertained as a, as a, as an interesting and uh, elusive topic, nowhere they've turned outside of themselves more, if anywhere, than to the East, to the Orient, to, to Hinduism, and to Buddhism. And Buddhism is, is really just an outgrowth of, of Hinduism from the Upanishadic side of Hinduism, Vedanta side. Hmm? They've looked there, where consciousness has been the subject from from the the dawn of you know, the, uh, the cradle of civilization, if you will. Hmm. Uh, um, it's new to us, a topic of interest. Hmm. It's always been the subject there. They talk about it, of course, in ways that are different than we talk about knowing things. Because, again, we don't think that it's a thing, so there have to be different ways to talk about it um, and to know it, to a very different method and so forth. We're very preoccupied, very accustomed to knowing in a certain way and going about knowing. These ways are, are, are foreign. They're very foreign. They're very much yeah, opposite in a sense, going within aparoksha as, a, as opposed to pratyaksha, hmm? knowing with the senses and instruments created by the senses and, and, and reasoning. Aparoksha, what's that? How can you know? by closing down the mind. Hmm? How can you know by restraining the senses? It's by the senses that we know. We touch fire, we know it's hot. Hmm? So this is the way, this is the animal way of knowing. And then if you add to that some reasoning about what you touch, this is the human way of knowing. But what about the spiritual way of knowing? That which is beyond the animal, beyond the human, hmm? which is you, hmm? that takes different animal dress, human dress, and so forth, as may be the case, as a different way of knowing, different way of talking about it, and so forth. So these will be the books for that subject. That won't, that won't change, these kinds of books. Hmm? And, and so they have their, um, the realm where they're authoritative. We can say they, are, they have all knowledge, because knowing that, then nothing remains to be known. Uh, Having a hundred dollars, you know, you have ten. All relative knowledge is, is, is seen to be such hmm, in relation to the knowledge of the self and the Godhead and the experience and so forth. So, so they're perfect in that way. So we refer in this realm. Then we cite them. Hmm? Um, there may be different ways to think about different texts and so on and so forth, which lends to different disciplines, which lends to different experiences of the Absolute. There's latitude there and so on, but um, in an overarching sense, then, this descending method of knowing is not subject to the defects that ordinary ways of knowing in human society are subject to. Our ordinary ways of knowing are subject to the defects of our bias. Hmm. our prejudice, I guess you could call that the cheating propensity, our imperfect senses, hmm. so on and so forth. So this is the point. The descending method is not subject to that. But you have to receive it with your senses. Yes, that's that's true. Hmm. That's true. But if you do it in the way in which it's described, then then the senses become purified. Hmm. 
also the spiritualizing of the sadhaka deha. Hmm. Putting bhakti, this is sadhana bhakti. What does sadhana bhakti mean? Means It means you put the sarup shakti on your senses. Hmm. That's what it means. So you're using the senses now, ideally only in relation to sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna. That's what it means to perfect them. Then they become means of knowing the self hmm, comprehensively, arriving at comprehensive knowing. Hmm. So Upanishad Sahita Sutra Kohe Jetatva Mukyu Se Artha Paramamahatva the absolute truth is described in the Upanishads and uh, the Brahma Sutras. But Mahaprabhu says, one must understand them as they are. That is the supreme Artha Parama Mahatva, the supreme way of knowing. Hmm? Sounds like a very literal, hmm? but uh, he's making a point of, of what? That mukya vritya, hmm? as opposed to gona vritya. So he's saying principally, he, he, maybe they taste the next verse, gona vritya jeva bhasya kurila acharya tahar shravanenash hoi sarvakarja. Shankaracharya, by contrast, whom you're following, he's saying, has described the Veda, the Upanishads, in terms of gonabritti. Hearing such explanations, then uh, the meaning is lost, ultimately. So these these are two ways of interpreting. So if I say to you, um, my house is on the Ganges, just down there. Where do you live? I live on the Ganga, about two miles down. I live on the... Where's your ashram? It's on the French Broad River. Okay? So if I say that, you have to interpret that by gonabritti, because the mukibritti means direct. It means my house is on the river. How do you put a house on the river? Is it a houseboat? Is your ashram a houseboat? You're on the river? Mm-hmm. You have to say what well, he he means. It's on the river bank. Mm-hmm. It's a manner of speech. So um, there are statements that have to be interpreted like that in the shastra. And then then there are the mukhi vritti statements that are taken as they are. There's no need to in, to give them a gona vritti interpretation. Mm-hmm. So. What Mahabharata was saying to Prakashananda is that you've taken, Shankar takes thousands and thousands of statements from the scripture that says God's ter- form is eternal, he has transcendental qualities, his name is transcendent, all these things. The qualities, the leelas, guna, the leela, the nam, the rupa of God, you've interpreted them all by gonabritti. Hmm? They should all be. There's no re- need to do that. Hmm? They should all be interpreted as they taken as they are, and then the few, there are some instances where you know you have to take it differently. But those are that's the that's always going to be the the lesser. Just like in our English language, I mean, most things you take on their face. Some things you have to interpret them according to Gonabritti. Hmm? Right. So he says Shankar's interpretation has just been done just the opposite. Hmm? And this is this is the problem. Hmm? This is this has something to do with this this opinion here, as Prabhupada envisioning himself in a sense as a Vedantist, hmm? with a mission, Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatarane, he uh, he attached his subtitle to the Bhagavad Gita uh, as it is. The Bhagavad Gita Mukhivriti. In his classical example was when 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 Krishna says 
surrender unto me, hmm? uh, it doesn't mean, it's not to be taken in terms of going to Bhritti and say, surrender to the Krishna who, who you are within, <laughs> to yourself who is Krishna within is the real meaning. This is like, ah, what? Okay, you know, as it is. And somebody say, well, why take it literally? Why don't we interpret Krishna away, you know, after all? That, well, <laughs> what's the reason for that? Because you don't like God or you don't believe that God can do the wonderful things that Krishna is said to do. I mean, whether he did them or not or in what detail, what does it matter? Why all the mahima of Krishna were saying God is extraordinary. God is not limited in 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 the ways that you are, hmm? um, you're a tiny jiva. God is the source of jivas. You're the spark. God is the fire. There's a huge difference. You, you have to get that. That that's one of the reasons why the stories about Krishna are so fantastic to make the point. Hmm? It, and you can see there's a need for it. Here the, we see the my bodies think they're God, <laughs> right? They do it. They think that the, 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 the jiva is Brahman. Wait a minute here. Well, you know, and then for probably to make these simple statements like so, you know, so the, he can produce one gold coin, you know, some some mystic. Hmm? He can produce a coin. Why doesn't he produce the whole you know, mountain of gold and solve all the economic problems in the world? You know, uh, he can't do that. Hmm? So this, uh, in one sense, all the stories of Krishna. Uh, the, of course, once Prabhupada was asked, he asked a reader what he thought of the Krishna book. He said, I thought it was a bit fantastic. And Prabhupada's reply was, well, I think you're a bit fantastic. The implication being to think that the things that God are said to do are are impossible. You want to you um, make him fit between your ears and your sense of what's possible. The whole point of the 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 narratives of his extraordinariness in one sense are to say there's a difference. Otherwise, we don't want a difference. We want him to be, we want him to be one of us and, and ourselves to be one of the Brajbasis. <laughs> so ultimately, they don't think all those fantastic things exist. So we agree with you. That's a bit fantastic to think that Krishna could do all those things. You know, but, but that, that comes when you love him. <laughs> Like Mother Yasoda doesn't believe the stories that the cowherd boys bring back, and the boys themselves think that, you know, yeah, Krishna had something to do with it, but we were there too, you know. We were helping him out. We were energizing him, you know, whatever. We were helping him to lift the Govardhan Hill. Hmm? So the main point is not the Aishvarya and all, and you can, you can tell him the tales as, you know, tall as you want to tell him to, to make the point. Hmm? Krishna's different than us. And when you get that point and then approach, then you can see he's one with us. He's one of us. He's a Brajbasi. When you become a Brajbasi, hmm? it's the sweetness that we're interested in, not the Aishwarya. Hmm? We're not interested in how long Putana was, 12 miles. You, know. you can forget that part <laughs> if you want. It's just making up. That's why I say that Vyas walks a tightrope, tightrope in the Bhagavatam between Aishwarya and Madhurya. He has to show them Aishvarya hmm, in order that, that he can bring out the Madhurya. Because if Krishna's not God, then it's not sweet, right? That he's human-like. So there's ways of speaking about his Aishvarya. Hmm. The point being to bring out his, his Madhurya. Hmm. So we'll rest with this point here again, that being that the basic problem that Mahaprabhu begins with, with the way you look at the Vedanta hmm, through the lens of Shankar's teaching, is that you make the Gonavritti the main interpretation of everything and the Mukhivritti to be secondary. That's backwards. Hmm. Any question? Is that how Sarvabhoma was explaining things? Yes. Yes, from an Advaita perspective, which Mahaprabhu described as, the sutras are like the sun and you've covered them with the cloud of your imagination. Hmm? I mean, Krishnadas is very, very um, 
not happy with the Mayavad. He, you know, he goes, he'll, he'll later say, Mayavad philosophy, basically Shankar has said, Vyasa is crazy. He doesn't really get it. Let me tell you, you know, what he wanted to say that he didn't know how to say. Hmm. He feels it's very, that Shankar's position is very insulting in that way. Now there's a place for Shankar. We have to get to that and all. And we, we, we glorify him. So that's part of, you know, the preaching strategy that I was alluding to before when I said, well, you know, sometimes there may be contradictions in Prabhupada's books. We have to look at them and see why he said it, where, what, and there may be. There's precedence for such. People say things and they have meaning for a certain time. And later on they have to be shown as such. You can't just hang on to them because they're not working in the time. There's been a progression of, for example, theism, let's say, in terms of Vedanta in India. We want to follow it. And then we see why Shankar, why Buddha were speaking in the way they were at the time. Hmm? I'm sorry, yes? It is for that reason that the... Uh that the Vaishnavas, they're content with the Bhagavatam as a mature commentary, and when they, the fact that they say in order to start a lineage you need a commentary on the, on the Vedanta Sutra, that's mostly coming from that, the Mayavad sect. The, it's not there in the Vaishnav sect so much? Well, the, the Vaishnav sects of Ramanuja and Madhva at least they they um, follow after Shankar. Shankar made his his um, his commentary, and in his commentary he said, "These are the ten principal Upanishads." And so, because he did that, and then drew his commentary from that, um, explained the sutras. And, uh, with that consideration, then they went in and used his same methodology or references in the same way he went about it to show a different interpretation. So Ramanuja particularly was Madhva. They were dealing with, with Shankar's Basha. And so they followed his way of commentary and accepted, okay, if these are the main things, you know, then we, we, we'll consider those the main things. Uh, now, I am not so sure about the dating of the, of the, um, um, Nimbarka, you know, uh, or the Vishnu Swami commentaries on the Vedanta. I don't know the, I've got a copy of Nimbarka's commentary, uh, in his school on Vedanta Sutra. I haven't seen one of the Vishnu Swami. There's Balaba, of course, in later times, in Mahaprabhu's times. But I'm not sure in the same way if... if I didn't study, I've referenced Nimbarka's commentary, but I haven't studied it, whether it's... I think it's after Shankar also. No, I think about it. I think he, he, he looks at what Shankar says. He looks at Ramanujan and quotes it sometimes and, and so forth. So maybe Shankar's... There were commentaries before Shankar as well, but I don't know, somehow his became prominent. Hmm? And then I, it's arguable that, well, if it's become prominent in that way and then you want to um, argue against it, then you have to follow the same way and come up with your own explanation of the sutras. But I mean, Godis are doing the same thing, but they're just simply saying that there, there, there is an explanation of the sutras. We have it, it's right here. It's the Bhagavatam, and as Guru Purana says, and so we have we have a commentary. Of course, then we have the Guru and the Basha as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah, the necessity, if I gather from what you say correctly, the necessity is coming from, from the fact that that taking the Vedanta Sutra and explaining it in a way that it, it's not actually in their own way, their own interpretation is only necessary because it was misinterpreted by those that were putting forth the Mahavad philosophy. Well, yeah, but not entirely because if you, if you want to articulate, you have to come up with some, some books, right? You have a, 
an idea of what is the nature of the jiva, what from what what the nature of God, Brahman, Maya, and so forth, uh, according to what the scriptures are saying, then you're going to have to explain it. Hmm? And the sutras kind of seek to do that, but they do it in a coded way, and so to uncode the sutras. It's necessary no matter what the tradition. I think so. Yeah, in that in the tradition of Vedanta. Vedanta means in the end of the the end of the Veda, the Upanishadic section, and the sutras are thought to be Vyasa's attempt to explain this in shorthand, really shorthand, um, the Upanishads. So, if that's the standard of knowledge, and you've got a sect, and it's got to be supported by the Upanishads. Oh, yeah. All right, we'll stop there. Shri Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai, Chaitanya Mahabhava Ki Jai, Shri Gaurada Madhava Ki Jai, Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai.